Now, I love New Year's time, and like uh, every good pastor, preach about New Year's resolutions. How many people here actually set some New Year's resolutions? Well, I found some stats on people who set New Year's resolutions. Here they are, the top 10 New Year's resolutions. Number one, to lose weight. Number two, getting organized. Number three, spend less, save more. Number four, enjoying life to the fullest. Number five, staying fit and healthy. Number six, learn something new. Number seven, quit smoking. Number eight, help others in their dreams. Number nine, fall in love. Number ten, spend more time in the family. Now I'm going to share with you the top 10 failed New Year's resolutions. Number one, lose weight. Number two, getting organized. Number three, spend less, save more. Number four, enjoying life to the fullest. Number five, staying fit and healthy. Number six, learn something exciting. Number seven, quit smoking. Number eight, help others in the dreams. Number nine, fall in love. And number 10, spend more time in the family. You know what's so interesting about New Year's resolutions? I I personally enjoy New Year's resolutions, and it seems that every time that I get to the beginning of the year, I get to look back on all the New Year's resolutions I failed in, which is the majority of them. But it it also is a time for me to set New Year's resolutions, new New Year's resolutions, and determine in my heart, I'm going to keep going forward. Amen? You know, when you look back at 2014, let's just be very frank and honest about 2014. It wasn't the easiest year. Amen? Many of us have come crash landing at the end of 2014 and just still trying to get back up from reeling to and fro because we were rocked so hard in 2014. You can look back, you can think of trials, tragedies, pains. You can think of heartbreak. You can think of times that you felt like you were just knocked down over and over and over again. But praise the Lord, you are here today. Amen? Amen. And that tells me that is a victory from Jesus Christ. The fact that you're still in church, you've chosen to be here today, it tells me Jesus is still working in your life, right? Remember last week we talked about the definition of saints. Remember the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the saints. And do you remember what he says to them a few verses later? Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good what? Work in you will what? Finish it, right? Until the day of Jesus Christ. Now just think of it, who was he talking to? He was talking to the saints. Notice this. He was telling the saints that God is going to complete the work that's unfinished in your life. So what is the definition of saints according to the Bible? Unfinished product. Amen? Amen. How many saints do we have here? Y'all better raise your hand. There's nobody here ready for translation, right? And so when we look at the beginning of this new year, we can tell ourselves, okay, this is the time for me to start this year right and begin with some decisions. To begin with some decisions. You know, when you look at a lot of these New Year's resolutions, magazines, or articles that come out, and uh, they're always trying to describe a a better way you can keep your New Year's resolutions. Uh, A better way that you can set things right, you can do something a little bit different, you can help with habit formation, and over and over and over again, there's a key phrase that will keep popping up. And do you know what that key phrase is? It is this. 
Exercise some will power. Exercise some will power. Now you think, okay, I've heard this before. What's your point? I was doing some research. Anybody ever heard of a guy by the name of David Blaine? Anybody know who he is? Okay, he's a, he's a well-known magician, he's an illusionist, but he's also somebody who over the last few years has begun to attempt uh, what was considered impossible physical feats. This individual, he stayed underwater for 17 minutes. He actually does an, a TED talk where he describes how he, he developed the ability to stay underwater 17 minutes, broke all sorts of records. You're like, is that even possible? Just listen to the, the TED talk and the things that took place. This individual was encased in ice for uh, several hours and did not die of hypothermia. He, what he's been trying to do, he's been trying to stretch his body to the limits. And many of us will look at somebody like this and say, I wish I had that kind of willpower. Right? We look at many of our Olympic athletes. They can run for miles on end or they can run very, very fast. They're, they train each and every day. And many of us think to ourselves, I wish I had that kind of willpower. Many of us will see people who can study books for long periods of time. Many of the students know what I'm talking about. And uh, when it comes down to their study, uh, every five minutes they have to keep taking a mental break. And we say to ourselves, I wish I had that kind of willpower. People here are able to listen to an entire sermon that Anel Kanda preaches without falling asleep. And we say, I wish I had that kind of willpower. I don't understand how Brother Scott can stay awake the whole church service. He's got willpower. <laughs> but here's the thing to understand. David Blaine actually recently attempted something. He fasted for 44 days straight. And we would say... That person's got willpower, especially because he was hung up by this crane in a, in a glass box and people were taking hamburgers and eating hamburgers right, right where he could see, trying to make him give up. 44 days he stretched his body to the limit and did not eat any food. By the time he came out, he was very emaciated. And we would say, this person has a lot of will power. But now the truth is about to be spoken. David Blaine was actually interviewed by a couple of authors who talked to him about his uh, physical feat, this strength, this uh, thing that took place. And they talked to him and they're like, how in the world were you able to suppress your appetite for 44 days straight without going crazy when people were eating a bunch of food, they were taunting you, trying to make you give up? Where did you get that kind of willpower? Well, he writes how he cultivated that kind of ability. But what is so interesting is what he writes or what he says afterwards in the interview. I'm going to share this with you. This is very interesting. He says these things. In their book, Willpower, Rediscovering the Greatest Human Strength, Roy Baymeister and John Tierney interviewed Blaine to try to understand, if not why, he develops the discipline to accomplish these amazing feats of endurance to see if there are lessons that normal people, that's you and me, 
can learn from him to strengthen their own self-control. But to me, the most important part, he writes, of this extended interview was what he said after when he explained to them his methods. He says this, When it comes to doing these kinds of things, I exercise a lot of self-control. He says this, I don't overindulge, but... Ready for this? As soon as I am done with the event, I go to the opposite extreme. Where I have no self-control. He continues. And it seems to spread through everything. After a stunt, I'll go from 180 pounds to 230 pounds in three months. He says, you're catching me at a time when I'm the opposite of disciplined. I'll eat perfectly for 10 days and then eat like a maniac for 20. And when I'm ready to train again, I'll get really serious. I'll drop three pounds a week, stay consistent. But then afterwards, he says, I will lose all my discipline. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. When we're looking at individuals like this and we say, these people can exercise a lot of willpower. What we do not understand about some of the most amazing people in this world who seem to have some extraordinary mental strength is this. Everybody has certain aspects of their life they're very, very gifted at. Amen? And then other aspects they are not gifted in. And so when we're looking at all these great people and we say, wow, these are amazing people. They can do amazing things. They have this amazing willpower. What we don't understand is that there are other areas in their lives where they have no willpower whatsoever. You know, you go to somebody and you can say, wow, they can practice music for five, six, seven, eight hours. They have a lot of willpower. I wish I had that willpower. But little do we know, there are areas in their lives where they have zero willpower. And what we begin to understand about every single person, ladies and gentlemen, is that humanity has a broken will. Humanity has a broken will. After the fall of mankind, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they were tempted by that serpent, they placed their will over to Satan. The will is the factor, the governing agent in decision making. We are the composite of all the decisions we have ever made ever since we were able to consciously make a decision. But because of sin, our willpower or our will is fractured. And we have a very difficult time exercising our will. There may, will, there may be certain areas where we can exercise our will, no problem. But there may be other areas where we are completely failing in the use of our will. Every person has this problem. It is the problem of sin. But what we're going to be discovering today is how God wants to help develop your will power. Can you say amen to that? Now everybody take your Bible and let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're in Philippians chapter 2. Imagine if you had all the willpower in the world to make all the decisions that you wanted to make without struggling. What kind of person would you be? 
You think, I'd, I'd be able to do this and that. I'd be able to be more obedient to God in this area or that area. And you would just think, if I had no struggle whatsoever and I could exercise my will, what a different life I would have. Let's find out. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Are we all there? Alright, we're going to start with verse 13. I want you to see something quite remarkable here. Pastor's got to catch up with you guys. Okay, here we go. Philippians chapter 2. Let's start with verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Now notice this, work where? Out. Okay, pay attention to that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice what he says. For it is what? God who works where? In where? You. Notice this. I want to read it one more time. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works where? In you. To both. To what? Ladies and gentlemen, what is God wanting to do in your life? To what? He wants to give you willpower. He wants to give you willpower. For it is God who works in you both to what? Will. Now notice this next part. And to do what? His good pleasure. This is a very important thing, ladies and gentlemen. If we miss this, we are missing what God has been wanting to do since day one. And that is this. He wants to restore in man the image of God that was lost through sin. You know, when you go to... The, uh, the bookstore, you're going to find a lot of people gravitate towards the self-help section. They're looking for answers on how they can change their lives. We're always looking for answers on how we can change. Generally, nobody is thinking in their mind, I want to be an evil dictator and destroy many people. Most of us have very similar goals. Can you say amen to that? How many people want to be uh, people with better morality? Raise your hand. How many people want to be nicer people? How many people want to accomplish the goals that are in their lives? It's the dreams. Many of us are not thinking to do great evil deeds. But the problem is, is that humanity is broken. And what God is proposing is something so powerful. Notice what Paul is saying. For it is God who works where? In you. Both to what? Will or to make decisions. Now this is very important. I love what Ellen White says right here. She says something powerful. It is for you to yield your, your what? Will to the will of Jesus Christ. And as you do this, God will immediately what? Take possession. Let's continue. And work in you both to what? Will and do of His good pleasure. Your whole nature will then be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Easier said than done. Amen? We can say, oh yeah, I get this. We just simply have to surrender. Now this is where it starts becoming even more practical for every person here. And that is this. What God is wanting us to do and to develop is a responsive or reactive turning to God in times of trouble. A responsive or reactive turning to God in times of temptation. A time of a reactive or responsive turning to God in times of struggling. And what we are doing to God at that moment is that we are surrendering or submitting our will to God. And do you know what God does? He takes our broken will 
He strengthens it, adds power to it, and then gives it back to us. And you know what we then have? We have willpower. Willpower. Ladies and gentlemen, your problem or your fight is not with sin. You're like, what? We already lost that battle. Right? Your fight is to turn to God and let God deal with the sin problem. Let's continue. Your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ and even your thoughts will be subject to Him. You cannot control your impulses. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to let you guys know something. It is natural for you to sin. That's not a surprise, is it? I mean, some people are like, what? I've never heard that before. It is natural for you to sin. But it is entirely supernatural for you to stop sinning. That is totally a supernatural act. It is in your nature, the Bible says, the carnal mind is enmity against the law of God. We do not, we are not born wanting to do the law of God. Amen? Let's be honest. How many people are born doing the, wanting to do the law of God? No way. The Bible teaches something very frank about humanity. And God is exposing this problem to us because He wants to help us. He knows the frailties of humanity. He knows the weaknesses of humanity. And He wants to bless us. Let's continue with this. By yielding up your will to Christ, your life will be hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. And notice this next part. And allied to the power which is above all what? Principalities and powers. You will have his strength from, you will have strength from God that will hold fast to his strength and a new light, even the light of living faith, which will be possible to you. And so the goal of the Christian is, is to turn to Christ. And at those very moments that you feel darkness coming upon you, you feel temptation, you feel struggle, you feel everything that is opposed to you, it is at that moment you are to learn how to turn to God. Ladies and gentlemen, you can keep fighting sin your entire life, and you'll come to one conclusion at the end of your life. You were lost before you even began this fight. But what God is proposing is to give you victory. Do you want to know what the Greek word for victory is? Nike. You wearing your Nikes today? Just do it. Just do it. You wearing your Nikes today, church family? It doesn't look like you guys are wearing your Nikes today. Paul, you wearing your Nikes today? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to give us victory, but it's by letting Him do the fight for us. We can keep trying. You're struggling to go to church. You know what you do? You say, God, I am giving my will to you right now. And you know what God does? He takes your will. He strengthens. He says, at that very moment, I'm working you both to will and do of his good pleasure. And it is his good pleasure for you to come to church. You better believe it. And you know what you're going to find all of a sudden? You're going to find strength to go to church. You're going to find strength. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to teach us how to turn to him. Willpower isn't simply us trying to resist the devil and temptations and struggles until we're finally crushed. God is saying, let him take hold of my strength and I will strengthen him. This is what God wants to do. Teach us the true force of the will. It isn't us struggling against sin. It is God dealing with the sin problem. We need to turn to him and learn how to turn to him as almost a, a, a reflex. And when this begins to develop, 
we're going to find those temptations able to be met at a whole nother level. This is what God wants to do for every single person. Amen? Amen. Every single person. Take your Bible. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Getting a little sleepy? What do you got to do? Turn your will over to Jesus. Amen? Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Let's start with verse 1. Notice what the Bible says right here. I beseech you. Do you know what the word beseech means? It's this begging. This is Paul speaking. He's like, look, I am beseeching. I'm begging you right now. Notice what he says next. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your what? Bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Reasonable service. Let's continue. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of what? Notice this. The Bible is saying something. God doesn't simply say conform to this world. Don't just simply bend or mold. What God wants to do is something entirely different. He doesn't just want you to conform. What does He want you to do? Transform. Do you know what the word transform is? It's the Greek word metamorphosis. You know what a metamorphosis is? When you take an ugly caterpillar, and I believe caterpillars, God created them just the way they are. To teach us a lesson of how he can take something so ugly. Have you ever seen a caterpillar? The ones with the little, they're like, they got these spikes sometimes, these big old eyes. Like when you see these things, you're thinking, is it going to eat me right now? And, And what God does with this caterpillar, he begins to transform it into something very beautiful. I love butterflies. You love butterflies? Butterflies are so beautiful because they represent transformation. But notice what the Bible is saying right here. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Okay, notice this. He's saying be transformed. But the, the, the reason is this. Be transformed by what? Buying, by the what? Renewing of the what? Ladies and gentlemen, does change take place when you switch everything around outside of you? Many people, we think to ourselves, hey, when I finally have this, when this situation changes, when that person changes, when my work situation changes, my house situation changes, my job, whatever it is around us, we're constantly hoping that the things around us are going to change so that we will change. But the truth of the matter is, it won't happen. Do you know where change begins, ladies and gentlemen? Inside. Do you know what the word renewing means? It actually means renovation. God wants to renovate your mind. He knows that transformation takes place when He is allowed to enter into the mind. And what He does, He begins to go through various rooms in your house. Right? And I know many of us have locked rooms. You know what I'm talking about? Pastor shows up. Come on in, Pastor. Just sit in the living room. Is the bathroom upstairs? No, not upstairs. Don't go up there. It's that one over there. Ladies and gentlemen, we have rooms we're not giving God access to. Rooms in our mind that God has been trying to get in. And that's why the plea of the Laodiceans is, Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. Knock. 
And this isn't just an appeal of when he's trying to get into the house, but when he's already in the house trying to get inside some of those rooms. And do you know what Jesus wants to do when he gets in those rooms? He doesn't burn down the room. He doesn't destroy the room. Or even take you away from the room. Do you know what he does with that room? He renovates it. And do you know what happens when you have a renovated room? People come by. Hey, come check out this renovated room. (laughs) Pastors come by. Hey, you can stay the night here in this room. Ladies and gentlemen, when we have a renovated house, when we have rooms that are renovated, we love to open them up to the world. But what happens is, because of sin, many of these rooms of our mind are locked. And we don't just lock them, we put deadbolts on them. We put security chains on them. One of those brake bars on them. I mean, we try to weld the door shut if there's a metal door. I mean, we do whatever it takes to make sure some of these rooms stay shut. But here's the problem. Jesus isn't satisfied with that. If he wants to live there, he wants to be able to go into any room. Even the rooms you don't want him to go into. But you won't find somebody who will break down that room. You'll find somebody who is knocking gently and is hoping you will let him do a work. Do you know Jesus is still a carpenter? Amen? He's still a carpenter. He knows how to work. He knows how to change. He knows how to renovate. But I want you to pay attention to Paul's reasoning right here. I want you to read that verse one more time so you're not missing what's being said right here. Let's start with verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Bodies a living what? Sacrifice holy and acceptable to God Which is your reasonable service Notice this next part And do not be conformed to this world But be transformed by the what? Renewing or renovation of your mind So transformation begins by what? Renovation of the mind Let's continue That you may prove Here's the next part What is that good and acceptable Perfect What's that next word? Will of God Now notice the logic he's saying right here. Notice the logic he's presenting. He's saying this. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God that you can be, what? Changed from the inside so that God's will can be proved. Now the reason I bring this up is because there is another element to the will. You know, as human beings, we are a whole organism. It's not we're just mental Vulcans from Star Trek, right? We're not robots. We're not computers. We actually have a body that's very connected to our mind, our mind-body interface. And what affects the body ultimately affects the what? Mind. And you've got your spiritual antenna here. And this is where we need to understand something. That where God wants to do change to help strengthen your mind is not just with many of your spiritual decisions, but also with your physical habits. This is the time where people start fleeing. I advise the deacons to try to run away to 
smash your car. Anyways, um, not smash your car, slash your tires. Thank you, Daniel. How do you know that? Get what I'm saying. Okay. He knew what I was saying. And, and this is where God wants to do some change because here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. We're living in a world today that is giving us messages consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, messages that are attacking our very mind, attacking our very body. And the devil knows that when your body is attacked, your mind is attacked. And when your mind is attacked, guess what? Your spiritual antenna is not working very well. And it would be very foolish for us to think that your body or your physicality, your physical life is not connected to your spirituality. And this is where we need to do some um, pastoral love and rebuke. We always hear about a health message, right? Oh, what you need to eat differently. But the truth of the matter is, it's not just what you eat. It's how you eat. Because I have known a boatload of vegetarians who are dying just at the same age as a bunch of carnivores. It's not just what you eat, it's how you eat that affects you. You know, I come from a family of vegetarians. You know, I come from a Hindu background. They're all vegetarians, okay? And I love my family. I mean, I love Indian food and stuff. But let me tell you something. As being vegetarians, as they are, they're still getting the exact same lifestyle diseases. They're still dying of cancer at an early age. Still getting diabetes, heart disease. I love my dad. He died after his third heart attack, fourth heart attack. Three heart attacks and one heart failure. And he was simply just a product of the culture he came from. But this is where we really need to think about it. There is practical religion to your health. And we need to awaken our dormant faculties that are sort of just put that door or close that door and say, I'm not, I don't think really God's interested in that. If it hurts you, God is interested in it. Amen? If it's robbing you of His blessings, He's interested in dealing with it. Now what's very interesting, take your Bible, let's go to Proverbs chapter 31. Look at what the Bible says right here. Proverbs 31. Do not give your strength to women. That's not the verse I was honing in on, but that's another sermon. Okay. Do not give your strength to what? Women, no sex part, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. This is the mother of King Lemuel, which people believe, many commentators believe, was actually Solomon. His mother is giving him some advice, and she's sitting him down. She says, son, you need to listen to something. I have lived through David's reign. I have witnessed other kings from other nations. And let me tell you something. There are some problems. Things that kings need to be aware of. And he says, watch out for the multiplication of women in your life. Then notice what he says next. And those things which will destroy you. He goes on. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes intoxicating drink. Lest they forget, lest they drink and forget the what? The law. And pervert the justice of all 
the afflicted. You know, I was driving back from Yosemite. I was on Highway 49. Highway 49, you know, the phone doesn't work very well. And, you know, it's just a lot of scenery. It's just a a, a road that goes through some just uh, beautiful nature. And so as I was driving, and I, I kept, you know, I was driving the speed limit, okay? I got a ticket last month, so I'm driving the speed limit. I'm driving the speed limit, and all of a sudden I see this, like, big old F-250 raised up on, like, 36-inch tires, big old bumper, and uh, there are all these, like, stickers all over the side. And I see him coming around the corner, I see him in my rearview mirror, and I'm like, I'm going to continue to drive the speed limit. And there's one lane, okay? And he gets up right up behind me. And, uh, you know, I'm like any male. I'm not going to move. I'm driving the speed limit. He gets up and he starts getting a little bit too close. Soon as the lane opens up, he gets to the right side. And he comes up and, he, you know, I look over, try to give him the look. And he, he just drives. He drives past me. And as he's driving right past me, he immediately checks right into my lane. You know what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to get me swerve out. He immediately checks into my lane, and he did it intentionally, okay? And he almost hit the car. And I'm borrowing the Magpiles vehicle right now. Praise the Lord. God's protecting that car. And uh, I move out, okay? And I'm just like, these people. And they're just, they're just driving, okay? And they're driving, and I can see them in their like rear view, their mirror. They're kind of like shaking their head like they're having a good laugh. We just scared the Indian man off the road. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, as they're driving up, I start seeing beer cans come out. And they're coming out, and one almost hit the car. I slowed down, praise the Lord. Didn't touch the car. Another beer can came out. And they're driving in front of me. Okay, this, I was already planning to talk about this, but this is, I just felt like God was giving an object lesson here. And I thought to myself, man, these people could hurt somebody. And if you just type in drunk diving into Google News, you will see the amount of people who die every day. Families that are robbed of their children because somebody decided to take a drink and drive. So while they're driving, I um, pick up my phone. I'm, like, I'm going to put these people on blast and call the cops right now. The phone signal didn't work. And so I was just driving and driving and driving and driving. Because I really thought they could hurt somebody. The way they were, and they were cutting in front of other vehicles. And other beer cans keep, kept coming out of the car, out of the truck. And so it's coming out. And finally, we get into reception. I'm like, I, I pick up the phone. I was like, you know what? They could hurt somebody. I'm calling the police. I called the police, and, you know, I love police department, but they never answer fast, okay? And it was like, I was like, yeah, so, hey, I just want to let you guys know, there's a guy, he's driving very crazy, some beer cans came out, gives me to check it out. Okay, and all of a sudden, I, right as soon as I got off the phone, I spot in my corner a policeman. And he's there, and he sees the truck drive right by. He immediately turns on the lights, and he goes right after, and he pulls this truck over. And self rose up at me at that very moment. I was going to be like, <gasps> But I didn't do it. Praise the Lord. For it's God who works in me, both the will and do of his good pleasure. Amen? But, oh, I was so tempted. You don't even understand how much I was tempted. They got pulled over, and I continued to drive. But here's the thing. Notice what is being said right here. 
lest they drink and forget the law. And this isn't just talking about man-made laws, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible's here trying to teach us a very interesting principle about intoxicating drink, and not just intoxicating drink, intoxicating substance. Those things which are affecting your frontal lobe or the place where you make decisions. When that happens, your spirituality is compromised. It's compromised. And right now you're seeing a lot of things in our world today. It's not just drink, ladies and gentlemen. Substances. Not just substances. Food itself. Everything is designed to, in some way to affect our thinking abilities. And what's happening is we're living in the middle of a great controversy battle zone when it comes to what we're putting in our mind and our bodies. God is trying to help us understand something. And the devil knows how the human body works. Amen? He knows very well how the human body works. He knows how to affect it. He knows how to alter the reasoning abilities. He knows what to throw in your way that's going to cause you to deter from the path of righteousness. He knows exactly what he's doing. But this is where God is calling us to say, wait a minute, I want you to understand something. And that is this, intoxicating influences are affecting your mind, therefore affecting your will. And if it's affecting your will, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have a hard time following Jesus. Now, many of us will say, I fully agree with that message. Because many of us may never have struggled with it though. You know, understanding and maturity always takes a step back. And it helps us to understand where those who are struggling may be coming from. You know, we talk about principles of the Bible and righteousness. We'll say things like, this is what needs to be done in your life. This is what needs to be done in your life. But ladies and gentlemen, little do we realize that those who are saying it to have lived a completely different life than any of us. And that's where it takes not just simply communicating, but understanding, connecting, and helping people in the journey. It's not, this is the line, you better cross it or you're going to die. That may be in a sense the essence. There is a line drawn, a boundary drawn by God. But God is also saying, let me help you through this process. Amen? Amen? And so what we need to understand, this message that's coming from God is a message of love. It's a message of what? Love. All the warnings in the Bible are messages of love because God knows the future better than we do. And He knows who's coming around that corner. And so when we begin to recognize this is a problem in my life, God is saying, this is the time for you to start surrendering your will to me. And there may be times of struggling and temptation where you're going to have to surrender your will to God more than a hundred times that day until you're out of that dark phase. You're dealt with somebody who is just an addict it's not the easiest thing in the world. Because addicts many times have inconsistent, um, what's the word I'm trying to like, inconsistent um, social behavior. And so when you're trying to connect with them, many times it's very difficult even just to have a connection with them. Because the addictions have affected their mind in such a way, sometimes it's too strong, they need distance. But when we begin to understand that this is a problem, God is calling us first to pray for people who are struggling like that. Amen? 
Then the second thing he calls us to is to use gentleness and love in helping people cross that line. If there ever is a problem right now, it is this. As Seventh-day Adventists, we've been given special messages on health reform, not because we're better than anybody, not to tell people we're better than you, but simply to help this broken world. Amen? And what we're told is that this health reform or this health message is going to be connecting with the third angel's message and they will go out with power as they begin to go hand in hand together. And I really believe as a church, this is a year that we need to really start thinking about health reform. There are people who are struggling and dying simply because of bad health habits and are crying out for help from somewhere. And if you begin in light... Light on the health message, it's not time for us to sit back and say, somebody else will talk to them. Somebody else will speak to them. How many lives do you have? How many bodies do you have? How many minds do you have? You got one. Take care of it. It's the only one you're entrusted to. You have so much to lose. It's not that, well, you know what, it's my life, I'll live my life, whatever I want. You don't understand. You're robbing people of your beautiful life, too. God wants us to recognize this is a problem. God has drawn lines and said, I don't want you to die. And those who have maybe been caught up and have perished, I have lost uncles and um, various kinds of relatives who have died under um, intoxicating substances over and over again in their body. God knew where they were at. But he still puts breath in my mouth. And if there's breath in your mouth today, ladies and gentlemen, you may be struggling under something like this. I want you to know Jesus loves you. He really loves you. And he wants to help you. And if you will let him, he will come in and overcome those things that may be too hard for you to overcome. If you're open to that. Amen. We're going to show it to one last verse as we're closing. Go to Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. And he is near, ladies and gentlemen. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. But continue. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen, if God's calling you to forsake your thoughts, what does he want to replace your thoughts with? His thoughts. Let's continue. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts and your thoughts. And I love verse 10 11 because it's key. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but waters the earth. He goes into a farming analogy in the conclusion of his logic. That it may bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and the bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. And it comes from his mouth. It's already in his mind. Let's continue. It shall not return to me void. It will accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper 
in the thing which I sent it. Ladies and gentlemen, what God is saying is, replace your thoughts with His thoughts. And when you do that, and you put the Word of God in your mind, in your heart, what you're going to discover is it was always for your benefit all along. To prosper you, to bless you. And as we come to the beginning of this year, we need to consecrate ourselves to God and to give Him our minds. Amen? For His will to be done. And when we do that, He will work in us to accomplish what He's been desiring for so long. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you've been. If you will open your heart up to Jesus today and say, God, give me the mind of Christ. Give me your will. You'll find a compassionate Savior ready and willing to do that for you today. Amen. How many people want to do that? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we conclude this message, Lord, we don't want it simply just to be words, but we want it to be thoughts and actions. God, we have no power against sin. We've tried. We thank you for your righteousness that saves us from the penalty of sin. But Lord, we're praying for your spirit to sanctify us from the presence of sin. Lord, we can't do this without you. And so, Lord, for those who are struggling right now and weak and feel like they're at the bottom of the rope, Lord, help them to understand that you have reached out your arm to them today. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.